let me remind you what we're talking about here. Paul, you, you might be a little confused from the, because you don't know all the context here. Paul is obviously writing a letter to the church at Corinth. This is a part of Greece, modern-day Greece. It's at, it sits at a very strategic uh, crossroads, both across the water and across the land. It's a very affluent place. These are go-getters. These are people who excel in everything. Very much a Gainesville type of a crowd. A lot of people who do excellent things in the city, and it very much reminds me of Corinth. And so Paul begins verse 7 by reminding them, as you excel in all things, I want you to excel in this act of grace also. What is that act of grace? It's the, it's the, it's the grace of generosity. Remember the last point I made last week is that our money can become an act of grace, a sign of grace in the lives of someone else. Somebody prays a prayer, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to meet this need, and then you give money to them or through the church, and all of a sudden your money becomes an answer to prayer, a sign of God's grace and favor. And I explained one of the situations that happened for me just like that a couple of weeks ago. So now Paul is writing to these Corinth, Corinthians, and he's saying, I want you to have this act of grace. I want you to also know this grace, this wealth of generosity, which is why he refers to it earlier in the chapter 8. He says, I want you to have this, uh, this grace of of uh, generosity, and particularly Paul has an occasion that he wants them to participate in. The Corinthian church was the first church, as Paul made his missionary journey, to commit to see the need in helping the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was suffering from a, a, a famine, a, a drought. They had, they had no resources. They were very poor. And, and this is the mother church, if you will. This is where the faith begins in Jerusalem. And so the Corinthians were quick to say, oh, we want to raise up uh, an offering, and we want you to take it, Paul, on our behalf to the church at, at Jerusalem, and let us be a blessing to them. Well, they, they were the first to make that commitment, but the Corinthians have gotten sidetracked. They have moved away from that 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 need, and that, that's become on the back burner. The money's been spent, and so poor Titus, who Paul sends, has to begin again to, to, to gather the funds if the Corinthians are willing. This is the occasion for their, their, their generosity. This is the opportunity Paul sees for them to be generous. And so that's the reason why he's talking about uh, the Macedonian church, and he's, and he's comparing the earnestness of the Macedonian church with their, well, their, they began well, they had great intentions, but they've not followed through. And so Paul begins as he, and I begin there in verse 8 where we left off last week, which is to remind the, the Corinthians of, of this earnestness, this, this displaying of great wealth of generosity among the churches of Macedonia. Now you may not know who, where Macedonia is. It's, it was an ancient country. It was north of Greece, but it's where the city of Philippi was. The colony, Roman colony, it's where the city of Thessalonica was and the city of Berea. Those are all names of cities where you read about churches that Paul planted on his missionary journey. And so those three churches and those three cities represent Macedonia. They represent the church of Macedonia. And as I've been studying through this the last few weeks, it's incredible to me how there's such an interaction between the book of Philippians written to the church at Philippi, one of these Macedonian churches, and the church at Corinth where Paul is writing to today. Now you may say, well, it's not really fair, Paul, to be, you know, comparing people. 
You know, look at, you know, look at what David did. He flew in from Berlin and got up there and led music. What are you doing, right? Not, but, but, but in this situation, Paul is, is commending to them uh, a type of discipleship, an area of discipleship that is commendable, that is to be emulated. And I think that we should all, when we, when we see somebody who, who exemplifies one of the fruits of the Spirit, somebody who has great patience, like Beth Kirby, we should, we should try to be, her family may not feel like that's always true, but from my, from my experience, Beth is extremely patient. We should try to emulate that. We should want to be like Beth in that sense of patience, and she is great in her patience. If you know her at all, you know that to be true. Amen from her college-age son. That's what other testimony do you need? So Paul says the church in Macedonia has been earnest in their giving and their generosity. And the, the other thing to remember and to remind you of or to know if you weren't here last week is that the churches of Macedonia were, were themselves pretty poor and it ex- had extreme, uh, suffered extreme problems as well, some persecution, other things. And so they were giving out of their poverty, not out of their abundance, but they exemplified this generosity that Paul wants to see reside in the church also. Well, if you think it's hard to be compared to another church or another Christian, what about being compared to our Lord Jesus? Because that's what Paul says next, right? Paul goes on in, in, in verse 9 to say, um, look at the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. God made him who was rich to become poor so that through his poverty you might be made rich. Well, what's Paul talking about there? He's, he's talking about the gospel. As believers, we should always find ways to, to, in, to, to inject the gospel into any situation we might find ourselves. And that's exactly what Paul's done here. He's talking about generosity and he sees that what Jesus did by going to the cross as an example of great generosity. He's thinking about Jesus before he was incarnate, before he became a human being, took on the form of a baby and grew up as a man, lived a perfect life before going to the cross. Jesus, who was the Son of God, had all the riches of eternity, became poor emptied himself of that and took on human flesh and blood, became poor. That's the sense in which Paul is saying that, that, that Jesus became poor so that by his poverty, we might be rich. Without Jesus taking on that poverty, coming as a human, dying in our place, we cannot be rich in Christ. Paul set, sees a perfect opportunity to say this is what the gospel is. As a matter of fact, those words may sound familiar to you because they're from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and forward says, Jesus did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he submitted himself even to death, death on a cross. But because of his resurrection, Paul goes on to say, Jesus has raised Christ from the dead. Therefore, every knee shall bow and every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he had to become poor so that we could become rich. Paul is 
preoccupied with this idea of the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. It shows up in his writings and it, it comes up time and time again. Just in the book of, of 2 Corinthians, you can read about all the things that Paul says that are riches that we've received, our deposit of the Holy Spirit, our daily renewal, the eternal weight of glory, our eternal home that we can await, the hope we have in the future, unending fellowship with Christ himself, the fact that we are new creations, that we are reconciled with God, that we are made righteous. All of these things, Paul says, are, are, are generous gifts, ways that we've been made rich because Jesus was be willing to be made poor. Last week, we talked about being thankful for what we have. It's so easy when you get to the subject of money and and by the way, that's what we're talking about here, you know, generosity of money. And it's so easy to go, well, you know what? I've worked hard for this. This is mine. I, I have, I have, the sweat of my brow produced this. There are no, there's no nobility in this room. There's nobody who inherited great wealth. But we've all worked hard for it. But where did the ability come from to work hard? I mean, where did the, the, the intellect come from to allow you to do things? These are all gifts from the Lord. There's no self-made man, no self-made woman. We've all received countless graces, breaks that we receive, relationships we've had, doors that were open for us, opportunities, as well as the gift of our minds and our strong bodies and our ability and all the things that we have. Ability. Those are all gifts from the Lord. We're so rich. And they're all gifts the Lord has given us. So Paul says this should be the impetus for our desire to be generous towards others as Christ has became poor that we might be made rich let us give generously generosity is giving of our material things so that others may benefit in Christ's light in other words Paul is saying this is a spiritual discipline this is a characteristic of the Christian life that I want to see in you and Paul says last week it was more about sort of looking at Mas the Macedonian churches and the characters they have this week really friends it's about it's about looking at ourselves and seeing the spiritual benefit that we receive by becoming people of generosity we should desire to be like our Lord Christ as David said, we can't do that apart from Christ, but because His Holy Spirit is in us, He is working in us to renew us, to make us different persons. We have forgiveness for the past, we have hope for the future, but as I said last week, there is a transformation, a renewal of our minds and hearts. We can become more like Christ daily as we grow in Him. And that's what Paul wants. It's why he goes on to say in verse 10, this benefits you. It benefits you to learn to be a generous person. If, if the nature of God is to be generous, then it makes sense that we would try to emulate that generosity ourselves. This benefits you. As a matter of fact, if you go to, back to Philippians 2, I talked about Jesus emptying himself. The, the impetus for Jesus saying those words in, in Philippians 2, 6 are what he says right before that, which he says, let this character be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this character be in you. And before that, back in verse 4, he actually says, 
Don't simply look to your own needs, but to the interest of others. In other words, Paul is saying again, it's this generosity. This is, this is what it looks like to be like Christ. And he wants to see it lived out in the lives of the, the Corinthian church. Now, just a just footnote here. There's a prosperity gospel out there. You're aware of it, right? It says basically if you give $1,000, God's going to give you $10,000. If you give $10,000, God's going to give you a million dollars. And it's this idea that you can't outgive God, therefore you give so that you get. But that is completely contrary to the gospel. Paul says we give because we want to be like Christ. We give so that we can then give more. God gives us, yes, he richly blesses us, but not so that we can accumulate, but so that we can give greater and greater amounts. It's a giving to get prosperity gospel that is completely rejected by the church. The true gospel says we give because it is the nature of God. It is generosity. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus says. Generosity is discipleship. Paul goes on to encourage them in the next part of the verses, verse 10 and verse 11, he encourages them to have follow-through. You know the old expression, right? Um, The road to hell are paved with good intentions, right? We always want people to judge us by our intentions. Well, that's not what I meant to say, Jose. You know, I meant to say this, you know, we, we judge other people by their actions, but we want them to judge us by our intentions, right? Well, let's I know I seem like a really mean and angry person, but that's really not who I am in my heart of hearts. You know, we, we have this idea that somehow we can, we can be this, this, this perfect person in our minds and, and then act any way we want. And, and the reality is that we're known by our actions. And Paul wants them to, 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 to be people who have follow through. He's pastoral, though. He, he understands the situation, and he knows how hard it is. He, Paul says, I'm not asking you to give out of what you don't have, but about out of what you have. And, and remember, it's the Corinthians that were prompted by the Holy Spirit in the beginning to have the desire to give this gift to Jerusalem. So Paul's not commanding anything. He's just saying, this was something good. The Holy Spirit prompted you, but now I want to encourage you to have follow-through. Now, I, let me just say, you know, I understand how hard it is. It's, it's hard to, to sit and listen to a sermon that begins to talk about money and generosity when you know the bills you have at home. You know the debt you have. You know the things that are coming up. You know the things that you're anticipating in the future. I'm paying off a wedding, and I got one more wedding to go. I know where you're at. And then I, know what it's, I don't know what it's like yet, but I, I know that there, for some it's like this worry. Will I live longer than my money? Will I have enough money to make it to the end of my life? All those are real realities. Now, some of them, the, regarding debt and things like that, are things that the Lord can work through. He can, he can get you out of debt. Jody and I have, have found freedom from debt. Things like the crown class that we've offered in the past have been a, a help in that. And there are ways to, to approach your debt. But even before you, you get to that place where you feel like you financially are you know, above water, The Lord calls us to be people who generate, who cultivate a generosity within ourselves. Don't forget the widow, the widow's might. She had so little, but she trusted God with what she had, right? It's not the amount, but it's the state of the heart. Paul says, 
I'm not asking you to give out of what you don't have, but out of what you have. It will benefit you to cultivate generosity. I was at a lecture this week um, over at the study center, and um, it was on technology and spiritual formation. Uh, we've just hired, you've met him a few months ago, Mike Zakaskis. Mike is the new assistant director at the study center, working with Richard Horner, and, and Mike's emphasis is on technology. And I'm thankful for him because I realized that that my kids, did, I don't have to, I didn't have to deal with smartphones with my kids for middle schoolers. And smartphones and tablets and all that stuff is changed the whole game. And you who have younger children know that. And I'm thankful for Mike. Mike's actually going to come and speak to us in November about for, spiritual formation and, um, and technology. He's going to speak on a Wednesday night. But one of the things that Mike said is that oftentimes we're, we're unconscious of the, what we do and the way we allow technology to alter even our worship of God. And then he used this example, and I hadn't even thought about it. He talked about online giving. Now, many of us give online. Many of us pay our bills online. Technology is just advanced to the point where we don't, some of us don't even have checks. We don't actually order checks. But he said, think about the idea of the offering plate. The offering plate goes down all the rows. People put in whatever they want, check or cash, and then it's brought forward and lifted up as an act of worship within our service. He says, but, but when, we, when we've completely gone to online banking and people are just paying online, is that, doesn't it alter that act of worship? Which is why we still pass the plate, by the way. We we want to, even if you gave online, we want to symbolically remember that all of our offerings, all of our gifts to the Lord are being offered up on that plate and then, and then brought up to the Lord. I'm even thinking about getting checks again just so I can put a check in the plate. Because I, I, I thought, you know what, I hadn't even considered that how, how technology has altered that. And this is not a sermon on technology, but, but it just exemplifies this idea that, that it, it's important, whatever it is, that we are aware that, that this sense of generosity is something that the Lord wants to build in us. He wants us to be people who demonstrate our dependence upon Him. Even as I say, I know how hard it can be. Fears for the future, debts from the past, circumstances of the day. The bottom line is this, what we do with our money forms us, it shapes us. What we treasure highly in our hearts, we give our money to freely. And I probably upset people with my Disney reference last week, but, but you're all back and more, so I guess it didn't mean too much. I haven't told Zach that I talked about him in the sermon yet, so some of you guys can break that news to him. Well, lastly, just to finish up here, Paul is, Zach is my brother, and I mentioned him in the sermon, so... Paul ends by, by coming back to this, this, this point of a, a generous church. Um, we have some extremely generous people at Servants of Christ. If I was to embarrass them and, and point them out, I mean, they would be exemplary in, in generosity. But, but the Lord is not simply looking for a few generous people. He's looking for a church of generosity. And that's the way Paul ends the passage. It's this whole hard passage in here where he, he talks about, uh, I'm not asking you to be burdened and others to be let off, but that there'd be fairness 
that your surplus now is meeting their need and see, you know, how much you have to spend on groceries and living expenses and whatnot. It, it is a humbling experience to wait for that check to come in the mail. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. But what it did for us was it taught us to depend upon the Lord. So faith budgets and churches, that's like child's play compared to how much are we going to get? Now, not all of our wants were met. <laughs> there, were a lot of, there were a lot of slim months there, but, but God was faithful. And the generosity of the church in Jacksonville um, was a great blessing to us. So now, you know, years later, now that Joey and I are both employed and we're doing well, to, to turn around and to have folks like Deshari, some of you remember Deshari, one of our students graduated, to, to now be able to support her financially. Or our son-in-law, Andy, is, who's also with Young Life, to be able to help a, a young woman who does college ministry down in Tampa that we knew from her childhood, was friends with Charlie and Samantha, to be able to, to turn around and to support these, to be on the other side, it's a reminder. It, it's that, that, this, that, that the body of Christ is supposed to work with reciprocity. Some of us are young college students and don't have any money. And then, and then there are people who are middle-aged who have money and they support the church. And they, they do a lot of the ministry. But then those people grow older and they retire. But guess what happens? Those younger people get jobs, get graduate and get degrees. And all of a sudden they can make money. And, and that's why I think God has always intended for there to be a multi-generational church. I'm really not sure what you do with these, these really you know, mono-generational churches. What happens when everybody gets to retirement age? Do you just dissolve and start over again? Because it seems to me that, that the way the, the, the supposed to work in a generous church is that those who at that time have a surplus assist those who are in need, and then it comes around. That's the life cycle of a congregation. Paul says that's the way it should be. And then he, he quotes, he ends by quoting uh, from Exodus 16 about the manna in the desert. Remember that children of Israel, when they were in the desert, they were, uh, they were completely dependent upon the Lord, and God sent them manna, which was sort of bread-like substance that, that they collected in the morning, and then in the evening, he sent them doves to, to feed them night and day. But it's really interesting because Paul ha- uh, because the Lord has some strict instructions to the children of Israel. They're only to collect enough for that day except for the Sabbath, where they're allowed to collect uh, a second day. I don't know if you remember this, but if, and they, some of the Israelites tried this, because this, this is just the rebellious people we are. Some of them tried to collect extra and hold it back for fear that God wouldn't bring the manna the next day. And what happened to it? It just rotted, you know. It just became a stitch, like, you know, overnight, you know, sort of just like bad bread, you know, just moldy and icky and they learned the lesson and and but this this interesting thing that the lord says that that he who collected too little was not in need and he who collected too much did not have too much and at first you may be going whoa that sounds like communism what's that you know ken's not going to pull his weight but somehow i'm going to pull his weight because we're going to get this but it doesn't say equity of amount it says equity of need that there was no one who was without need. I don't, think, I don't think it's alluding to communism. I think it's alluding to the fact that what the Lord was teaching them to do was to be dependent upon him. God will supply your need. 
That may sound familiar. It comes from Philippians 4.19. Paul says, but my God shall supply all your needs through his riches in Jesus Christ our Lord. God in the Old Testament was teaching the people to be dependent upon him. See, it's, it's easy to, out of fear, to, to put away extra and to, and to depend upon ourselves. Like, yes, Lord, thank you for the intellect. Thank you for my ability. Thank you for the ability to make money. But now I'm going to take it and I'm going to do it. I'm going to put all this money away because I don't want to have to be dependent upon you for future need. When the Lord wants to teach us that we can depend upon him to meet our needs daily. And when we see that, it produces in us the ability to be generous. Because I'm not holding on to mine for fear that I'll be in want. I'm giving out of faith to know that God will meet my need. If God met our supreme spiritual need in sending his son Jesus into this world to become for us sin, to become for us poor, that we might be rich, that we might be made righteous. Can we not trust him to meet every other need? Of course we can. God shall supply all of our needs through his riches and glory. Paul says this benefits you to learn generosity. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.